Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. I'm going to get straight into it. I like edgy social media people and entrepreneurs. I mean, come on, like Gary Vee's the first guy I ever really started following. And it was part of the fact that he was essentially just like this, you know, out there, no bullshit type guy um, that I loved. I, I loved like the realness, but like there is an element of vulgarity that I really liked as well. Well, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because my guest Lee Cockrell is an older gentleman, an army veteran who was at Marriott about 17 years, Disney for about 16 years, and just like kept going up the ladder. And when I talked to him and we were on this podcast, it was just kind of unbelievable at how, I mean, there's no other word to describe him, nice he was. He's nothing like the others, but he was still able to be candid. I mean, everything he said you felt was the absolute truth. So how do you get to the point where you come from a, essentially a broken home, you join the army, you start as a waiter at the Marriott, then you end up in Paris opening Disney World, and then you're the VP of all operations at Walt Disney World Resort. Well, that's what this podcast is about. And I really think you're gonna take a liking to Lee just like I did. And I'm really, really grateful that he took the time to do it, but there's a lot of good nuggets in here, especially the line he drops about learning to manage like your mother. So enjoy the episode, another fantastic guest. I couldn't be happier, let's go. All right. Uh, well, we've already had a fantastic introduction. So Lee, uh, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be on the Leadership Locker. And can you please just give us a little bit of a background on you before we jump into all the questions that are just bubbling to the surface for me right now? Well, my quick background is I grew up in Oklahoma uh, on a little farm, a little dairy farm. We didn't have any, we didn't even have indoor plumbing. My grandkids don't believe me. But my mother was married five times and I got adopted twice, but got my third name Cockrell when I was 16 by husband number four, who happened to have money because my mother started making better choices, started marrying doctors instead of these other guys. And so I got to go to college and I, of course, went up and didn't go to class. So I flunked out after two years, went in the army. That was really the right thing for me anyway. I needed the discipline and the, the routine and uh, I loved it. When I got out of the Army, I went to Washington, D.C. with a friend that I met in the Army, and I got a job as a waiter at the Washington Hilton. I got there two weeks before it opened, and uh, it was great. I'd never been in a hotel before, so I was shocked, but I had somebody who taught me the business, and then I worked for Hilton eight years all over the country, and then uh, Marriott for 17 years, and then I uh, got recruited by Disney in 1990 to go to France and open Disneyland Paris, and then I came back to Orlando in 93, and, and a couple of years after that, I was promoted to be in charge of all operations at Walt Disney World. So from dropping out of college, it's uh, I always tell people, don't underestimate what you can do. Yes. <laughs> you never absolutely. know how I th I, when you're 20, you don't know much, but you can know a lot more if you want to. I am inclined to agree. You know, during my service, I was able to get a bachelor's and then upon retiring, I got a master's. And, you know, there's frequent days where I'm just like, I could have been so much further ahead if I was just doing things instead of trying to learn some of these things. But um, we'll, we'll leave that at that. So it's, it's funny. That was a good 60 second version of a, obviously a very, very highly accomplished career. And let me throw out some other things that you have going on now, now that you are happily spreading joy is... 
you have the Cockerel Academy, you have, I believe it's four total books, you have a blog, you have a podcast, you speak, there's a lot of things. So it seems like you're the type of person who was always busy. And even after uh, your time in kind of corporate America, so to speak, you are busier than ever. Is that true? And if so, why? Yeah, somebody told me, he said, Lee, when you retire, don't watch TV during the day or you'll be dead in six months. So I keep pretty busy. I'd like to hang around a while. And I think it's just, you know, growing up on a farm and you always had things to do. We didn't even call it work. It's just the way it was. We didn't know you had a choice because you didn't. And so I've always worked. And I think that just becomes who you are, that you kept busy. I, I worked in as a young kid. I worked in high school. I worked in college. I worked uh, always. And I always enjoyed it. So I guess I didn't really think of it as being a big problem. So I just keep doing it. And I really, oh, in the last few years, come to the conclusion that I have a lot that I can teach people because I learned it. And so I really get a lot of satisfaction out of being a teacher instead of a boss. <laughs> so Of course. Yeah. So it's funny. Our, our mutual friend, Dave, he asked me, hey, are you looking for podcast guests? I'm like, of course I'm looking for podcast guests. But I was like, no veterans. He's like, this is different. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we, we got the introduction and here we are. But the funny thing is, you know, after the army, I, I agree, I was very much like you in terms of, I knew it was something that was better off for me. I went to the Marine Corps and, and did that and I came out better. And I'm assuming you came out better than you were when you went in. Did you have any expectations of what you felt like you were qualified to do on the outside upon your transition? Or was it equally disorienting and kind of like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet? I didn't even know you had to do something. I just was, I was 20 years old, you know, I just got a job. And I think uh, I tell people, they said, how were you so successful? I said, well, I had a good work ethic, which is probably came from the farm life and all that. And I have a real positive attitude. So those two things work for you because people want to help you and work with you. And I guess because uh, if you're a pain in the neck, nobody wants to help you. So those help me a lot. And I'm very organized. I'm really disciplined. I'm very reliable, incredible. I keep my promises. I think those things are probably things that we all look for in people is good attitude and uh, the discipline to be organized and um, get done what you say you're going to do. So you're trusted. I did not know the background of your childhood until you mentioned it in the opening. I could be way off here, but I would assume that it's much more difficult for someone who comes from a quote unquote, like a broken home or those many changes to have a little bit of a more difficult time adjusting as an adult, so to speak. But you had to drive and you've attributed it to the farm, but you said you were able to get stuff done and you were organized. But Going through all that stuff as a childhood, did any of that resurface in terms of your confidence level, you know, when you were starting to, to do really good work? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my biggest issues. I have a really a self-confidence problem, I always have. And, you know, when you don't have a college degree and you're going to New York to work and you're working, out, I mean, and people, you know, when I give speeches, uh, they always introduce you what college you graduated from, Stanford, <laughs> Hartford. And I'm going like, well, I, I gave the... Uh, commencement address at Oklahoma State University last year, even after I dropped out of there. And um, yeah, I have a self-confidence problem. And I think one of the reasons I was successful, I have this huge, deep fear of failure. You know, it's in there and it's haunting. So uh, I just, maybe I, maybe that's the biggest issue. And maybe it's embarrassment, maybe, you know, whatever self-confidence issues we have. And mine are deep and I've had to work on them. And uh, yeah, they can affect, they affect every part of your life. 
you had the proverbial chip on your shoulder and it was a good driver, it seems like. It was for getting work done. I was a good manager. I could get things done. I wasn't a very good person early on in my career and I really had to overcome that. And uh, I didn't trust anybody. I guess that's one of the problems with the way I grew up. I didn't trust anybody but me. And so I kind of abused my position. I have issued orders and expected people to get done what I told them to do. And I don't want to really hear your opinion. And uh, I really had to work my way out of that over the years. How did you do that? I mean, everything you do now is cir- uh, circulates around leadership. And, and leadership is one of those subjects that I think a lot of people could talk about at a very surface level and somehow still be successful. But you are talking about, you know, you have obviously the staying power at Hill and the staying power at Disney. But recognizing that you had a leadership problem or a people problem and trust issues, what was it specifically that you did to kind of overcome that and enable you to have that trust and to lead in a more effective manner? I think, you know, the more success I had, I kept getting promoted and I kept getting awards and stock options and cars and people told me I was great and blah, blah, blah. The more success I had in business and in my whole life, my confidence got up. I started thinking, because I don't think I really believed in myself. I thought people are going to figure out one day I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Then one day I finally figured out nobody knows what they're doing. So I was in the same boat and I, I really got excited about learning. At some point, it kicked in where I loved it. I started reading and I started going to seminars and listening to tapes and reading about leaders and leadership and how they did it and understanding the ethical and honesty and integrity part of it and uh, trusting others. And by it, you know, in early years, it affected my marriage. You know, when I'm trying to order my wife around, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> but we worked through it and uh, we've been married 52 years now. And wow. so I, my goal was to get the family marriage average down. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. My brother's been married four times. I've been my mother five and me once. <laughs> Good for you. You know, at some point, I think somebody's got to break the bad habits, whether it's alcohol abuse, uh, divorce, uh, drugs, uh, you name it. And we worked our way through that. And luckily, you know, I had the right wife too. She put up with a lot of nonsense from me and she knew I had those insecurity problems. So... I guess I was understood. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. So you showed up after the army, you know, to DC. You were a waiter, okay? And at, I'm, I'm sure at that point, there's no way you could have possibly understood what the future was going to bring you. But you got up to director and VP uh, and then hotel GM at Marriott International. You were there 17 years. At, at what point did you realize something special is going on here? So you, you mentioned earlier, your work ethic from being on the farm is what equated to a lot of success. But someone like me who interviews a lot of people like you realize there's obviously talent that goes along with that. There has to be an element of talent that allows you to escalate to those kind of levels. But at what point did you realize something special is happening and I'm, I'm just going to go for it? I was always one of these people, you know, I knew what next job I was probably going to get to be promoted to. And I'd always say to everybody, I don't really want that job. Just in case I didn't get it, I would have a cover, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think when I got a promotion to the corporate headquarters at Marriott, it started to open my eyes that, uh, somebody sees something in me. And I, I was getting a lot of positive feedback from people who really wanted to work with me. And, and I had become an expert in the food and beverage business. I think that helped a lot too, because I really focused on the food and beverage business for 25 years. And so when you're an expert in something and you know more than everybody else around you, 
it does help your confidence quite a bit. And I, I tell young people today, no matter what you think you're going to do, if you love something, become an expert in it. Just so you always have that, like people say to me, why are you? Why do you say you're an expert in time management, Lee, and organizational skills and uh, setting priorities? I said, well, because I know more about it than you do. <laughs> that, and it's true. Anybody can pick something and just uh, read about it, study it, and enjoy it. I mean, I love reading about leadership management, uh, the failures of leadership, the obstacles. I, I There's a lesson in each one of those. I think we all have the same problems, same issues. We're all trying, we get a bunch of obstacles in our life, and we've got to sort them out and work through them, work over them, and, and keep our cool today. I mean, you know, early today is the right behaviors and being supportive of people and not making their life worse than it already is. Finally decided people have a rough enough life already. I don't need to be their boss and make it worse. So it just became a lot of philosophical for me to understand that I had a lot of uh, control over the situation. It was me, not other people. When I figured out my wife wasn't the problem, I was, we get along fine. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, you say you love time management and you love organization. And and before we get on to you getting recruited to Disney, and you say you talk to young leaders all the time, what are the things that you have noticed at your level of young leaders and how they mismanage their time, albeit, you know, distractions in terms of a phone or social media, or maybe even now in a remote environment with kids running around or who knows what, but... What do you see that, that is at least easily fixable that you could help someone with? Yeah, I think the main problem is most people just don't know. They have had no training in it in high school or college. And uh, it's probably one of the most important courses we ought to be teaching because it's, it's a course. It's, you can learn it just like math or science or chemistry. It's a learned thing. You're not born disorganized. This is kind of a <laughs> the doctor doesn't pull you out of your mother and say, well, here's a disorganized one. We'll put it over here. It's, it's a learned thing, and I think too many people just say, well, that's the way it is. Well, nothing's the way it is, I learned, unless you let it be that way, and you can learn it. And Mr. Marriott told me once, if you have flies in your restaurants, you like flies, and he's, you can fix whatever the problem is. You might have to get help. It may take a while. You may be insecure about doing it. It's like public speaking. I was terrible at it. I dropped out of speech in college because I was terrified to give a speech, so I dropped the course. And then later, after having a few problems with it, I went and got somebody to help me. And they taught me. And now I earn a living to that. And, you know, I said, everything's hard before it's easy. But if you don't push through it, and you know that, you're in the Marines. Everything's hard before it gets easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last week in the Marines was probably easier than the first week. And it's like that in everything. And I think it's, I tell people today, I've really come to the conclusion, two things will make you successful. Number one is empathy. And this, number two is discipline. And when you think about it, make, empathy to make the right decisions about people and the discipline to do the hard things when you have to do them and to do the right things and not let them go. And most people today don't want to do the hard things. And when you don't do the hard things, life even gets harder, you know. It's like if you're in the Marines, you don't take care of yourself, work out and keep in shape, and it, it's harder. I think a lot of times people don't get things done because they don't feel well. A lot of people don't feel well. They don't get enough sleep. Uh, they suffer from anxiety, especially today, uh, depression, um, drinking too much, uh, you name it, relationship problems. And when you don't feel well, when you wake up in the morning, you don't get much done. You know, that's the number one procrastinator is not feeling personally high energy. And so I, 
I tell people today, I weigh exactly what I did when I got out of the army. They say, how do you do that? I said, because I want to. <laughs> it's on purpose. I saw a great quote a few years ago. It said, you're not a product of your circumstances. You're a product of your decisions. You got yourself where you are. And, you know, too, I could have said, well, I was poor and I didn't have a college degree. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there's a lot of nice birthday cakes here. I'll just eat the whole thing and get fat. And no, <laughs> that sense of understanding who you are and control is what discipline's all about. And uh, you know that. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it, people who had it and who didn't and what happened to them. Lack of discipline. But you in more trouble in 20 seconds, and especially when you're a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So let me ask about the moment you were recruited, and next thing you know, you're on the way to Paris. That had to be an enormous confidence boost, and just maybe almost like an arrival. Like You probably changed the trajectory of your family at that point if you hadn't already. So talk to me about that. Well, I was working as a general manager for Marriott at the time, and I got the call. And I went to Orlando and had an interview and uh, came back and said to my wife, you know, they offered me the job to go to Paris. And uh, I said, what do you think? She said, let's go. I said, really? I said, that's a big risk. And she said, Lee, at that time, when my mother had died, my grandmother died, my brother had, had quadruple bipolar, everybody. She said, everybody in the family is either dead or getting better. So let's go. Our, our son was in college at Boston University. We had nothing. So we said, all right. She said, if you don't take that job in five years, you're going to have regrets. You could have worked for Disney, lived in Paris. So we just did it. And uh, my career skyrocketed after that, getting that experience, working internationally. Uh, boy, working internationally is stressful. And I didn't speak language. And I moved over there. All I ate was ham and cheese sandwiches for two weeks because I couldn't speak French. So I, it's all I could pronounce was uh, fromage and jambon. And uh, you really grow up living in a, I, I found what it was like to be illiterate. I have a new re appreciation for people who come to our country and don't speak the language because I was one of those people. <laughs> I was terrified somebody was going to ask me a question. But good thing, the French don't talk to you. So you just order your coffee, you ask for the check, and there's no jokes. There's no, where are you from? They don't care. So America's got to be reading harder when people come here. But it was great. We had a great experience. I learned so much. I was there three years. That organization then and now equally it is somewhere people want to be. There's something about it. And I mean, obviously, and the other branches within it, ESPN and everything else they have going on, it seems like you just want to be part of that system. You were at Marriott for 17 years. You were at Disney for, uh, what was the total amount you were at Disney? 16 years. 16 years. So you have obviously staying power, but what was it besides your performance that allowed you to continue to get promoted that allowed you to say, I'm not changing my mind. Like this, this is going to go until I say it's done. I'm really pretty wired not to give up. You know, if somebody says no to me, I, okay, that's, that's it. Now I'm going to figure out if I have to wait a year to get in the back door or I'm going to, man, it's a kind of a slap upside my head. If somebody tells me, no, I can't do something. And I think that's part of my insecurity. I want to win. And that that's a downside to that too, by the way. I've had to learn to not always win and to be more subtle and to, I got in trouble at Marriott at the end because I was too aggressive. I was trying to fix the people above me. And, uh, you know, I'm very candid today and I speak uh, the truth, but in corporate life, that's hard. 
as you know, in the Army or in the Marines or in the Navy, to speak the truth is sometimes pretty stressful. But upward managing is, is a requisite of a great leader, which it seems like you are. How did you get your arms around that when you were at Disney? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I respected my bosses, uh, even though I didn't always agree with them and didn't always get along. I mean, once when I was at Hilton, I quit and left the company because my boss was just the kind of person I didn't want to work for. He was a real jerk, in my opinion. And, and uh, at Marriott, I got passed over for the last big promotion. And, and uh, I think that timing of Disney coming to me and offering me the job was I'm not afraid of taking a risk, you know. Of leaving Hilton, of leaving Marriott, I had a great job, great salary, cars, everything, and, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's just what it is, but uh, I took the risk, and and my wife was willing to do it too. She was ready. We moved eleven times in my career, so we've been everywhere. We've lived in every major city in the country, in Paris, and New York, and L.A., and and so we're just kind of okay. We can do this, and. Uh, it was a great experience. And, you know, when you think about it, you don't get those kind of offers every day to go do something different. I tell people, if you want to get to be a better person, uh, a less racist person, a less bigoted person, you need education, experience, and exposure. Most people get a good education. They don't get the experience and exposure. You think about the exposure you had in the Marine Corps. You had exposure that nobody can understand. You can't even explain it to them because you had to be there. and. Uh, you know, I've been to China and India and Cambodia and Vietnam, and I can't explain that to people. <laughs> you know, you can read about it all you want. And so I, those kinds of things excite me, uh, exposure and experience. We're bored to death right now being isolated at home waiting for this pandemic to get over with. Because we want to travel. And uh, travel show on TV is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just uh, some people are wired that way. Uh, but I tell people, you got to get out of your village. Because if you stay in the village, you think everybody's like you, and your little world is not the world. The last piece on your LinkedIn profile where it says Executive Vice President Operations, responsible for all operations at the Walt Disney World Resort. What in the world was it like being responsible for all operations at the Walt Disney Resort? Well, people ask me how I did it. And I said, well, they said, what'd you do there? I said, not much, <laughs> actually. I just made sure it got done. So I'm a real 100%. I'm a, like crazy about making sure I hire the right people. I mean, I had a team around me where the best in the business in the world. I trusted them. They were great performers. And I let people do their job. I'm not, uh, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a merchandise. So I hire the best people. I let them do their job. And then I try to figure out what I should spend my time doing. And all I spent my time doing was making sure that we had all the systems in place to hire the right people, to train everybody properly, and to treat them right. I always called my, said the formula became hire them right, train them right, and treat them right. And, uh, you know, the military is the same way. I mean, uh, everybody's got the same thing. If you hire the right people, you train them properly, you hold them accountable, you're clear, very clear about expectations, and uh, you build a culture where everybody matters and they know they matter, you can just go take a nap. <laughs> you know, I just made sure things got done. I didn't do them. And I was there for the, all those experts and I didn't know I had an engineer running a billion dollars of business and construction. And I, I had to trust him. I don't, I couldn't boss him around. In fact, too many bosses do that and they don't even know what they're talking about. You made it abundantly clear that you're very particular, you're very organized, you're very detail-oriented, yet you're saying here that you let people do their jobs. How does someone with your 
DNA, so to speak, let people do their jobs where there's a lot at stake and it is a worldwide brand. Yeah, I think uh, the, the key is you must take your time hiring people. I mean, you can't just, you got, you got to get them checked, background check. I mean, you got to do it harder than you've done it anywhere in the world. And, uh, and then uh, make sure that you have clarity about expectations for what they can do, what they can't do, uh, what they have the authority to do, what they don't have the authority to do. Total clarity. One of the problems in life is clarity. You know, have you ever worked with somebody, you did, they weren't clear, you didn't know what they wanted, or do they really mean this, do they mean that? I'm a, and so clarity of expectations is a huge for me, is, as my mother used to say, am I clear? <laughs> do you understand <laughs> what I just told you? And I say, tell people, I tell people all the time, when in doubt, manage like a mother, because mothers, <laughs> mothers don't care if you're happy, they care if you're successful, and they have empathy, and they have discipline, and they'll use them both on you. Because they love you. That's where I started to learn the differences. The responsibility versus uh, my ability, you know. My ability was limited because I can't be an expert in everything, but I can hire experts. And I can be very straightforward with them, and I can be candid with them about the expectations for performance, when to come to me, when they, what approval level they have, what they don't have. And mainly the things I was interested in is their ethics, their them treating people right. Understanding that their technical skills is the easiest part. I mean, if I hired you and I told you I, I want you to shoot this weapon at that target, I can see that. But I can't see your ethics. I can't see your integrity. I can't see, are you committed? Will you go all the way? And uh, that takes time to hire those kind of people. People say, well, they're hard to find. That's right. Why there's Marines and that's why there's Army people like me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There, there's a different level and a different level of expectation and a different level of commitment. You go in the Marine Corps, you're different. It's a commitment. It's huge. You know what it is when you take the oath of the Constitution. You will die for your country. I mean, that's commitment, baby. That is commitment, yes. <laughs> My father-in-law was a Navy admiral, and he went in World War II, and he graduated in the class of 42 three weeks after Pearl Harbor. And my wife asked him once, uh, when did he know that he would die for his country? He said, the day I raised my hand and took the oath to the Constitution when he was 20 years old. He said, I knew, I knew. And I knew he, he meant it. And a lot of people can't understand that depth of commitment. It's, uh, it's in you. And it comes out in all parts of your life. It becomes who you are, not what you are. It's yeah. who you are. And that's what I like to think about people. I want to know who people are, not what they can do. I agree with you. So, Lou, can you help close us out by talking about the academy and what being a chief learning officer who is creating leadership magic is all about? Talk to me about it. Yeah, since I didn't have a college degree, I thought I'd start my own college. And so I finally always wanted to because I thought I knew a lot from those three great companies I worked for and ups and downs of my life and working international. So I have a partner that does my podcast with me, and we just started creating courses. And we've created a time management course, a morning planning course on how to set priorities. We've set a world-class customer service course. It's about seven hours long. It's 39 10-minute sections. Uh, we got a leadership course coming out. We got one coming out this week that's called Everybody Matters. It's about how to create an inclusive environment. We have one on, we did for college and young people, 30 things they need to know as they enter the workforce that they ought to know when they enter, not later. <laughs> and uh, we've done a one on how you can write the story of your business. So storytelling, I've come to the conclusion is the best way to teach. 
and telling people stories and what happened and how to do it. And that's young people today don't want theory. They want, tell me how to do this. Theory, they don't want to hear theory from a book that was written in 1940. And uh, so that's how we did the Cockrell Academy. It's like a subscription. It's $249 for a year. And you get all those courses. Plus, we have another section of it that's current, new things all the time with 20, 30 videos in there, five-minute videos on a subject about hiring or firing or counseling or coaching or all the things I really, I learned a lot of that at Disney and Marriott. So we put it together and it's doing well and people like it. And I told people, if you give me a young person, I can put them in the Cockrell Academy and they don't even have to go to college. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a steal for $249. So I will absolutely link that in the show notes. Um, And then the last question I have for you, which I told you in the warm up, is when I look at all these pictures of you all over the internet, you have very colorful, charismatic ties. And what is going on with your tie selection? It just seems like someone who's so successful would be maybe a little bit more buttoned up, but you look like that is a screaming fun. Talk to me about that. Well, that tie is the same tie, and it's from Give Kids the World in Orlando. It's a place where terminally ill children can come for a free vacation from anywhere in the world within 24 hours. We handle 36 to 40,000 families a year. And not all the kids die. I mean, many of them survive, but they're really tough. The family's been through a lot. And a 10-year-old young girl designed that tie. And when I wear that tie, I have, if I go on a business trip, 50 people will come up to me during the week and say, wow, I love your tie. Are you a, are you a pediatrician? <laughs> are you a school teacher? <laughs> and it's just, it's a, it's a conversation starter. It's fun. That's, that became my kind of my brand. <laughs> so, and most of the ties I had were boring anyway, so nobody ever said anything about them. So the last thing I wanted to say was right here, smack dab on leecockrell.com. It says, if no one wants to see you, that is a bad sign and probably the beginning of the end of your reputation as a great leader. Find out why and correct the problem. What are things you would tell young leaders to encourage them to lead in a way that people want to see them, people want them around, people want to be led, people want to listen to them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I talk a lot about making people feel special when you come into contact with them, no matter who they are. Uh, Treating people as individuals, everybody's got a problem. If you're the leader, you help them solve that problem, help them get out of it. Uh, Show respect to people, no matter what, no matter what. Focus on training and developing people because they will love you if you help them get better so they can be better and have a better career. And I think it's just those simple things that we forget sometimes. I wrote in one of my books, I said, when you become a big deal, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares about your big deal. Nobody cares about your title. They care about who you are. You Can I trust you? And are you going to help me? And if I'm committed to you, will you be committed to me? If you're committed to me, I'll do a great job for you. And uh, if not, I'll do a less than a good job for you. Commitments, uh, it's hard to see it, hard to find. You don't know if you're getting 100% or 20%. And I think most people that are not very good leaders, it's an insecurity problem. You can overcome it. You you have. Overcome it. Absolutely, if you want to. This is why I, I do the podcast, and this is why I don't do all the prep that many podcasters do is because I feel like I literally got to know you so much over the last 37 minutes Uh, And I'm really grateful for you taking the time. I will make sure I link uh, to your social media profiles and the Academy in in the notes. But thank you very much for your time and for giving the audience uh, just a ton to chew on. All right. 
Thank you, Lee. Good to see you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so, so much. Look, I want this podcast to affect, help, inspire, and motivate way more people than it is. And in order for that to happen, I need your help. I'm asking for your help. If you've gotten anything out of it, if you can rate it, review it, share it with other people, share the video clips I put on LinkedIn, any of that stuff, it would mean so much. Uh, this is like a real crazy, grinding, hard thing to do. I'm already past, you know, the normal drop-off point for podcasters. So I'm content with that. Uh, listenership is growing, but I wanted to grow more because this is a lot of fucking work. It's great work, uh, but I love to do it. And I just want to reach more people because look, I'm not monetizing off of this and I'm not getting like some crazy, you know, growth because of this uh, or from my business or anything like that. I'm doing it because I believe, I truly believe I find great people. I get great information and you know, you're a business owner, entrepreneur, it helps. If you're not any of those things, it helps. So please consider doing that. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one.